Coming up on Chasing the Natty, to celebrate the end of the season, we're teaming up with the CFF folks over at Fantrax to bring you a podcast version of the 2023 annual CFF Awards. We'll be discussing the winners of each of the awards and the feats they've accomplished to get there. We'll also talk about some of the bigger busts of the CFF season and what we can learn from them. Finally, we'll take some time to congratulate as many CFF champions as we possibly can, and you should stay tuned for an exciting announcement at the end of the show regarding next year's content. All of that and more coming right after this. Harrison Jr. Touchdown! Marvelous Mar. Ball next to the outside, drop down for Franklin. Oh, majestic touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work. On this Monday morning, we are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Kenton Podcast Network. You're going to find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning during and or excuse me, during the off season at 6 a.m. If you want to support the great work we're doing here, head on over to campusofkenton.com and subscribe there with one of our stupendous tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Debbie, C2C and betting needs, including rankings, articles, tools, and even more than that. You can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. And our esteemed guest today, Mr. John Love, can be found on Twitter at GridironSkull91. Godfather of the CFF community here, Mr. Lob. How are you doing today, sir? Are you excited for the season to be over? I am excited for the college fantasy season to be over. I get a little more time with the family. The holidays are coming up, so it's very, you know, it's kind of welcoming. We're going to get our Christmas tree within a few days. So I'm excited about decorating it and getting along. I will miss the sweat. There's no question about that. And I do look forward to the bowl games. But, yes, it's kind of nice. The grind is finally over. This is the last episode the last project of the year is the award show with you my friend well i am honored to be the final college uh content that you'll be providing for this year i imagine you're getting ready to switch over to draft content going into the next (laughs) couple of months but obviously we got to figure out who's leaving and who is not um Lob, you pay attention to this probably more than i do in the past years but i kind of noticed that isn't me or are more college players waiting to announce their nfl intentions this year like, I feel like in the past couple of years, like, usually the teams that, you know, aren't going bowling, the player or the teams that, you know, aren't playing for conference championships and they're getting ready for their bowl games. It's pretty quick that a lot of them kind of make their intentions known of, am I coming back? Am I not? And everything. Have you, am I crazy? Am I, am I just making stuff up there? Or have you kind of noticed the same thing? No, I've noticed that I think there's two changes that have occurred in the college football universe. One is the um, NIL. Mm -hmm. I think there are literally some players waiting to see what's out there. And two, I think um, agents and players and families have gotten better 
with the pre-draft ranking system. True. If you're not familiar, you can put your name into the NFL and they'll give you a pre-draft grade. Now, basically, from what I understand, they'll tell you only if you're a first or second round pick. Mm -hmm. If you're not a first or second round pick, they kind of just say they don't tell you you're third, fourth or fifth. And I think there are players waiting for that because I've seen it over the years, Jared. There are a few players every year who declare for the draft and might go undrafted or go in the sixth round. For sure. And I think they're waiting. Hey, maybe I should spend a year at college instead of being that fifth round pick. Yep. So I think those two dynamics have changed the announcements. But especially among like running backs, I would think like oh. like with with running backs, like you know the NFL has been very clear about how they value the running back position over the last couple of years. Like even if you are a guy who's not getting the draft grade of first or second round, like you would still think you would see more of them declaring early because of how much the NFL values the tread left on their tires. So again, especially the running back position, I've kind of been surprised that we haven't seen more people. I mean, obviously Brandon Allen has made his intentions clear. Um, Raymond Davis has made their intentions clear. Jawar Jordan has accepted his senior bowl invite. So you have to imagine that means he's gone as well. So but look, Who knows? I was thinking, I've been thinking about this. How about Will Shipley? Usually he would have made an announcement by now. Yeah. You know, he's a three down back. I like him bet more than most. I don't think he's a top two pick. No. I think he's waiting to see what's out there. I because normally I there's no reason for him to play in the bowl game. Nope. You know, risk injury at this point. So I'm surprised he had, but I think it's he's waiting around to see what's out there, I think. You know, I, I mean, no insight, but I think that's why someone like him is not declared yet. I think that's an excellent example of somebody who's probably waiting around. And the other thing I, I would think of is Clemson's offense was disappointing this year. Do you think he's oh. kind of waiting around to see like what kind of offers are out there in terms of the transfer portal? Because we all know the tampering is going on. We have to know that probably schools are reaching out to oh him and being saying like, hey, Clemson's not using you well, like Mafa's taking over and everything. You should come to our school. We'll make you the bell cow and everything. We'll get you to the league next year. So I, I, I think I agree with you. Again, there's a there's a whole litany of things that are going on behind the scenes where college players are having to weigh way more options here at the end of a year yes. than they have been in the last couple of years. So that probably explains a lot right there. Anyway, that was a kind of a side tangent to start the show with, but that's totally fine. We got an awesome show ahead of here for you guys. Again, we're going to run through each of the awards given out by Fantrax and John Lobb at the end of each year, selected by a committee of, of I believe, six people. It is myself, John Lobb, uh, Joe Goodwin, one of the new members at Fantrax this year, uh, Mike Bainbridge as well, um, Nicholas Ian Allen, and then who was the six? Valiant Justin, Valiant Big. Yes, yes, um, our, buddy, our good friend Justin Leo, yes. Yes, he was a part of the committee as well. So, again, six of us, we all voted. Again, I believe, John, the way you have it set up is that our first place vote gives a player five points. Second place vote gives them three points. Third place, one point. Then, obviously, if you don't have them listed, they get zero points and stuff like that. We'll run through each of those awards, and then after each of the positional ones regarding quarterback, running back, wide receiver, I want to take a little bit of time because we're celebrating the guys that did well, and obviously these guys, a lot of them who we were on pretty early on, but then there's some guys from preseason that really kind of busted, so I think this is a good time to kind of reflect back and think about like what can we learn from the guys that didn't do well, and how can we apply that to next year? 
But before we get into that, one thing I want to do to start this show is congratulate each and every one of the CFF champions out there that I was able to track down and make sure they got a shout out on today's show. So I'm going to go ahead and start off with this in my home league. Got to give a shout out to my buddy, Tony Bernard and his team, the Columbus Computators. Um, in the CFB uh, Ball CFF League, you got Gio and his team, the Talentech Setbacks. Well done there. Of course, I got to go ahead and say this one out there. Mr. John Lobb, winner of the 2023 CFF Kings Classic. Uh, well done yeah. to you, sir. Completely destroyed me in the semifinals there uh, with an absolutely insane game that was. Uh, the Thank you. In the um, Burning the Red Shirt Dynasty League, Dogtown Red, congratulations to you, sir. In CFF Nate's Dynasty Showdown, congratulations to Mr. Nate Marquise there. In our own Natty Chasers Dynasty League, congratulations to Sal Cusumano. Well done to him at the end of the year there. In the C2C Legacy League, we have Believe Land 1989. Well done to you, sir. In Mitch Hark's 11-on-11 Home League, congratulations to Bill for winning that league. In our CFF Redshirt League, which is a league made up of only first-time CFF players, got to give the shout-out to Aiden Weingartner, who did exceptionally well winning the league, but also doing so going 13-0 and throughout the entire year. So well done to him. And then our former Redshirt Leagues, now the Blue Chip Leagues in the first one. Congratulations to Steven Jackson for winning that league. In the second Blue Chip League, congratulations to Goose and his team, the Darley Dale Donkeys. In the Golden Pig Invitational, congratulations to Benjamin Jacob over there. In the GM League, congratulations to Jester388. In the Little Big 12 League, congratulations to Ethan Koch and his team, the Penbrook University. In the International League of Fantasy Athletics, congratulations to Andy Omreen, who also won the Game Day All-Americans League, so congratulations, Andy. In Zach Tao's Home Dynasty League, congratulations to JT Gasson. In the C2C International Championship League, congratulations to E-I-U-O-C-O. There's no other way for me to pronounce that. And then in the Gridiron Scholars Joes versus Pros League, congratulations to Nick Godwin. And in the Rookie Big Board, congratulations to TP275, Matt over there. And then last but not least, in the CFF Lists Home League, congratulations to Mr. Luke for winning that one over there. I know that is a very competitive league over there. So... Again, you know, go ahead. Jared, give yourself some credit. You won the FSGA, which was incredible, dude. 18 teams put on by Eric Froton and the FSGA, and Jared came around, won the championship. That was a monster league. When did we draft that? Like early August, I think? Yes, early so August. Much- yeah, congratulations, my friend. Dude, that, that was an insane league right there because I started off really, really hot, and then – injuries just some guys falling off and everything really kind of killed me in the middle of the season i had like two weeks where i was barely scoring over 100 points and i got a little lucky with some of my matchups there but also like i the fact that i was able to turn that around was really nice so um yeah that that was a pretty insane league all right enough of the champions if you, if i didn't give you guys a shout out again it was no no hate towards you and winning any college fantasy league is incredibly incredibly tough even the best ball leagues out there like obviously you don't do much during the season but like if you win a best ball league that is an incredible feat like you are drafting against some of the tougher people in the fantasy world anybody who plays college fantasy is somebody who is putting a ton of time and effort into everything that they are doing so give yourself a round of applause if you have if i didn't get to name you here today 
All right, John, let's get into the actual meat of the show. Let's go talk about some of these players that have been absolutely phenomenal for college fantasy this year. And if you are a champion, they probably were the reason why you got to where you were. So let's go ahead and switch on over and talk about the Cam Newton Award. John, talk to us about our winner of the Cam Newton Award this year. Who is it and who are the runner-ups? The winner is Jaden Daniels. He was a unanimous choice, Jared. You know, I think about with three weeks remaining in the season, if we had taken a vote, I don't know if Jaden Daniels would have been unanimous. But with his playoff performances, and when you look at the total numbers or fantasy points per game, Jaden Daniels just won first place amongst all six of the voters. And, and in my book, I wrote about this in the Fantrax article. He's up there this season is Tim Tebow-like, yep. Patrick Mahomes-like, Cam Newton, where you just look at the numbers. They're just unbelievably off the charts yep. and the per-game basis. I mean, he was winning games by himself. When you put up 60 points in a six-point six touchdown league, it's astronomical. And the amazing part, I look back, his ADP was a fourth-round pick. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jared, there's a very good chance you could have had Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels or Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels. I mean, looking back, I wish I had more. I had a lot of best ball. I think I had him in one regular season league, but I had more best ball because he was even falling earlier because – if, if you look back, there were people who thought he might not even get the job. Wasn't it Newsmeyer? Sure. There were, like, reports. So I was grabbing Jaden Daniels as a third quarterback in best ball leagues early in the process. I just can't speak enough about him. He was incredible, and he deserves the award this year. And in second place was Bo Nix. Um, there's no question, I think, about how good of a season Bo Nix had. It was very consistent. Mm -hmm. I mean, he might not have had the highs that Daniels had, but man, when I put him in my lineup and every week you're getting between 26 and 36 points, that is really nice. And then he did have an uptick in the CFF playoffs, Jerry. Sure. He was a little bit better down the stretch there. And coming in third was Dylan Gabriel. I thought Dylan Gabriel had one of the most underrated seasons. And I know you were big on Dylan Gabriel throughout the offseason. I can't remember the time you said, I'm sitting around in the eighth round of a draft. And mm -hmm. Jared's like, I guess I'll take Dylan Gabriel. And he ended up, I mean, on a point per game basis. And on a total points basis, he was basically third or fourth. Dylan Gabriel is spectacular and came in third place. Yeah, no, I know. When I look at when I look at this list of guys here and everything, I I listed like how they finish in total points, at least in four point passing touchdown leagues here. And Jane Jones, obviously QB one, four hundred eighty five points, over a hundred more points than the next QB in Dylan Gabriel at QB two with three hundred seventy five points. So it, again. If anybody didn't vote for Jaden Daniels as their number one choice for this award, it was going to be malpractice <laughs> at that point. I do wonder, like, all right, how did Bo Nix get ahead of Gabriel? And really, like you said, it came down to came down to consistency. Bo Nix, and this is a big part of how I vote in this committee, is that I do value 
how these guys perform during the playoff. We'll get to some guys here, especially a running back, where I was ready to vote for them a week before, but then championship week, they completely fell through. A good example even here in the quarterback one is Caden Salter. I had Caden Salter as one of my top votes, and he completely fell apart in championship week. And when you have guys like Dylan Gabriel and Bo Nix who are being very consistent during championship week, they, they got the votes for me there. Dylan Gabriel, his second half of the season was definitely frustrating for a lot of people who drafted him early on because, again, whether you blame the concussion and everything, but also, again, he just didn't perform nearly as well in away games, especially, I think Nate Marquise pointed out at some point that Dylan Gabriel in away noon games was where he performed his absolute worst. It was a massive gap between that and everything else. And so you got a lot of those actually here near the second half of the season. After his bye week, 24 fantasy points, 31 fantasy points, 17 fantasy points, 59 fantasy points, 15 fantasy points, and then back to, like, what was it, 37 fantasy points on championship week. So it was a very up and down end to the season there for Dylan Gabriel for sure. So I think that's why he got knocked down to third place here, uh, even though he was QB2 on the year versus Bo Nix, scoring 30-plus fantasy points in all four of the final weeks of the season, like you said, John, that can carry you through the playoffs. That consistency is incredible. All right. You know, I would have had Dylan Gabriel probably above Knicks, except for he left the halftime game against BYU, which was the semifinals. Yes, sir. And I agree with you. The playoffs mean a lot. And because he hurt teams in the semifinal, I put him at third, but that was just to me because Knicks had that huge game the semifinals yes and to me that slight difference in the playoffs means a lot absolutely for sure and then again some honorable mentions here that i'm sure um were in in the votes for several of the people with dylan gabriel only getting six points you have to imagine that there is um you have to imagine there's a couple of other people out there again Kaden salter on fire really except yes. for championship week byron brown i'm sure got a vote or two in third place and then jordan mcleod really really hot finish to the end of the year Got, I'm sure, a third place vote here and there. So, congratulations to Jaden Daniels. I'm sure we're not. That's not the last we're going to talk about him on this show. But right now, let's go negative here. Now, let's go talk about some of the guys that we drafted pretty highly to start the season, who really just ended up bottoming out for us in college fantasy this year. And for the most part, we did a really good job. A lot of the guys that we drafted pretty highly really didn't fall much further than top 50 QBs. And again, you know, that's, you know, relative and everything like that. But we've had guys in the past few years where they get drafted and all of a sudden they're benched by like week three. And it just completely kills you for spending that high of a draft pick. So some of these guys right here, Curtis Rourke, Shavon Cordero, Mitch Griffiths, we'll talk about here. These guys were pretty much all mid-round draft picks. Guys, you're probably picking up as your second or third quarterbacks. But even still... I think it's good to talk about these guys real quick and think about what we can possibly take away from them and what we can look towards in 2024 here. So let's start with Curtis Rook here, John. To me, the big takeaway with Curtis Rook and really by extension Cam Rising, I think we have to take advantage or take more seriously the idea of guys coming off of ACL injuries, especially later in the season. We got tons of news all season long about how Curtis Rook was going to be back. He's going to play. And he did play. That part was not true. He is a shell of his former self right now. Next year, if he does come back, I know the CFL is calling his name right now and everything like that. But if, if he does come back for another year here, 
He'll, I think he'll be great again next year. But the year after these ACL injuries, I think we just have to take that more seriously. Again, Cam Rising, we never saw him once this year. And they were talking about how he was going to possibly play week one. And then here we are week 13, never played. And so it's a huge risk going off after guys like that. So do you kind of take the same takeaway there, John? The other part of it is with Rook yeah. is the Ohio offense just not looking as good. But still, go ahead. Well, one, the Ohio offense looked terrible all year. And we love the MAC conference, but they didn't live up to expectations. Watching Curtis Rourke, he just never looked as healthy and as played as well as he did in the past. The numbers are reflective of it. Cam Rising, I mean, we do know the challenges of getting good college information is difficult. And maybe when you have the big ACL injury like that, you just got to consider it more because both Rising and Rourke hurt us. Now, luck I got lucky because I only had them in best ball leagues, mm -hmm. and I usually draft five or six quarterbacks. So, like, even if you did have them in best ball, they didn't. They could have not destroyed your team, right? Yeah. Rising did. He just never played, I guess. Yeah. But you could still function. Um, you know, Rourke was the guy because you probably started him early, yep. right? In, and, and he played, at least at Rising, you never had him in your lineup. And then you probably reached a point week two where you just outright cut him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's annoying with the ACLs because we just don't get good reports. Yeah, for sure. Let's go over to Shavon Cordero over here. This is a guy that I liked a ton during the season. I was hoping that O-line would be improved. His rushing totals would improve due to the fact that, you know, he's not getting sacked the most in the country there. And just didn't really work out here this year. And I think the main reason here that I identified is that this running game for San Jose State just got absolutely incredible. I mean, Kyrie Robinson, top 15 running back in any metric that you can put out there in terms of fantasy production this year. He made a huge step this year. Quali Conley, the transfer that they brought in this offseason, he's going to be a beast next year for this team if they continue to have this rushing attack. And because of that, they relied on Cordero way less. Compared to last year, Cordero had 100 less passing attempts this year. That led to 700 less yards and four less touchdowns than the year he had in terms of passing. But in addition to that, again, because you have such good running backs back there, they didn't ask Cordero to run nearly as much. His rushing attempts got cut in half. He went from 138 last year to 74 this year. And that regressed his touchdowns on the ground from 9 to 3. We, I knew that the touchdown regression was probably coming for him somewhat on the ground, but even so, just the, uh, like the fact that his entire volume just got cut massively across the board definitely hurt. Something I am going to keep an eye on next year is kind of looking for some of these truly veteran running backs like Kyrie Robinson, who haven't been fantastic in years past, but that veteranship does help with a lot of these teams, especially in the G5. And so they become more reliant on those guys than really they have in the past. So that's just kind of my takeaway. What about you, Lob? What was your kind of takeaway with um, Shavon Cordero? It was definitely a philosophical change on offense. It looked like they were more determined to run the ball, the Spartans. And Robinson was so good. You could argue he was, you know, top five waiver wire pickup at the running back position for sure he was phenomenal so i think what happened is the coaching staff just realized in order to win games they can just run the football down people's throats 
And and they all who was the other running back? Why can't I remember? They had another decent running back, right? Quali Conley. There you go. So they had two really good running backs, and they just said, "Why would we throw the ball when we can run it?" And we do know their their wide receiver core. I thought it was disappointing. Oh, so yeah. I'm not sure if it was, really wasn't Cordero. I just think the wide receivers hurt him, and the running game was so good. Yeah, I'm trying to look up San Jose State wide receivers. Yeah, the 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 highest ranked wide receiver from San Jose State this year was wide receiver 136 in college fantasy. Go. And Nick Nash had some had himself some pretty good games. Don't get me wrong, but like again, just was not consistent whatsoever. No. Mitch Griffiths, another guy that I liked. I got to take another L here. Man, oh man, what happened to this Wake Forest offense, John? Like, this is like the guys that produce this Cam, or yeah, not Cam Newton, um, Jamie Newman. Talk about Sam Hartman last year and everything like that. He's like giving us guys like Sage Sherratt, giving us guys like, um, oh my goodness, why am I, uh, Ja'Kerry Roberson, guys like that, like, this entire offense fell apart this year, and it feels like they had the pieces that they needed there to run it. They had a guy in Griffiths who had been with the program a couple of years who had learned the system. They had some really good wide receiver options. I mean, take your pick, Jamal Banks, Wesley Grimes, all those guys. Like, what happened here? Well, sometimes, you know, Clawson's been very good, the head coach, at finding these three-star recruits who stayed on campus, right, for three or four four years and then they would pop and for some reason it just you know that may be method you know we'll see if it bounces back next year but for whatever reason it appears like that didn't work this year and maybe Griffins just isn't as good as the other quarterbacks we've seen in the past I mean obviously I trust Clawson mm -hmm. he he's been a good coach and he told us Griffins was his guy we had seen glimpses, right, when yeah. Hartman missed the game. So there was some film, you know, small sample size. But I was basing it on a long track record of a good coach. Sometimes that just doesn't work out, which is even more surprising because I thought the ACC had a down year. Oh, like yeah. it almost seems like this could have been looking back a year for Wake Forest to have made a difference. It just didn't work out, you know. Sometimes when you expect these young men to make a big jump, it just didn't happen for Wake Forest. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's absolutely what happened. Again, I, I fully admit that I probably did base too much of what I expected out of Griffiths this year based on a single game versus VMI. Again, the the hey. film the film told me that he could run this offense well. Again, yes, it's a VMI opponent. Like again, obviously you're gonna look good versus that. But just again, watching him command the offense, watching him play that game, I'm like, okay, this is a dude that they can rely on going forward to kind of keep this train going. Did not happen whatsoever. Like you said, just <laughs> it did not happen. Just sometimes it doesn't work out that way. All right, enough about quarterbacks here. Let's go talk about some running backs here. Talk about the Barry Sanders Award and. Once again, another unanimous decision here at the top with Ollie Gordon being our winner for the Barry Sanders Award. The runners-up being Ashton GNT and R.J. Harvey, the running back out of UCF there. So, Lob, break this down for us. Obviously, Ollie Gordon, again, another unanimous pick there. Um, tell us what you think the committee was thinking when they voted for Ollie Gordon and then GNT and then Harvey. I think Gordon's late push and especially his performance in the two playoff games 
He ended up in PPR scoring formats, busting 40 points twice, and then 51, the five-touchdown game in overtime. Because he had, in week 12, he had that down week against UCF. Yes, sir. But he was so dominant. Total points scored. I do believe in PPR scoring. He had the most points scored. His per-game basis was a little lower because those first three games, right? Yep. In the beginning of the season when he played at those group of five opponents and they didn't give him enough touches. Yep. And then once he got into the meat of the schedule, they just fed the beast. And Ollie Gordon was so good. So I think we looked at total points scored, especially when it counted. And that's why he got the unanimous decision. I think so, absolutely as well. It, it's really difficult to ignore what he did through the final set through the final seven weeks of the season. Through he was again to give people an idea, Gordon was RB seventy six through week six. So halfway through the season, he was borderline unrosterable, and the people who held on to him got paid off greatly. He finished the season with six top twelve performances, including multiple RB one performances. All of those 38-plus fantasy points. Just an absolute, absolute monster end of the season there. And again, he, if I'm I'm trying to look at past seasons real quick, he, among all of the running backs here, would have been, oh, excuse me, that's quarterbacks. He would have been RB, it looks like RB4 among all the past three years of running backs, just to give you an idea of just how insane of a season he was able to pull off here. And again, that's what, that was with him just being not doing anything for half the season. Just absolutely incredible. What about GNT Lob? This is kind of an interesting one because he was on, he's the opposite of Ollie Gordon. He was on <laughs> fire to start the season. Started with six top 12 finishes in the first seven weeks. Then he's out slash limited for three weeks there. He still finishes his RB2, about 30 points behind Ollie Gordon there. Do you think the committee was right to still reward him second place among running backs, even though he was out for a good chunk of the latter portion of the season? I do. He was my like kind of final decision going into the final week. I wasn't sure if he was in my top three. You know, I kind of before the final game, I had five guys at every position that I was keeping an eye on. Mm-hmm. So when I wake up Sunday morning, I can just kind of go to the three, but he really popped in that final in the game. He got owners and PPR scoring 39 and a half points. I mean, he had a hundred yards receiving and a hundred yeah. yards rushing at money time. And Halani, I know you had George Halani and he was playing so well down the stretch. And then GNT got enough touches, just a little bit to limit um, Halani there. And then what I looked at when I looked at the numbers, Gianti led the league, led the all of college football, college fantasy football in fantasy points per game. Yep. He had 30.4 fantasy points per game. So what kind of swung me was the fantasy points per game and the big performance in the championship. He earned my second place vote and he came in second place. So I, I think we all looked at those. The pass catching was phenomenal, oh, my sure. friend. He was really just the. I think he was the best pass catcher in the league, and he, and I think that's what swung the vote for most of us. 
All right, we'll talk about the last guy here real quick with RJ Harvey earning four points. Really kind of shows the committee was very split on this third option here. And really, you could you can insert any of the guys I'm about to mention here because RJ Harvey is RB6 on the year. Blake Watson could have gotten the third place vote here. Amari and Hampton could have gotten it. Raymond Davis out of Kentucky. Cody Schrader. Like, that was just a, like, the top tier of running backs this year for college fantasy, I think, honestly, might be better than what we've seen the last couple of years in terms of just all, like, in the past couple of years, we've seen some guys where it's, like, really big games here and there, and that's what kind of propels them to the top versus these guys consistently week after week davis hampton harvey schrader boo neil kyrie robinson marcus carroll audrick estimate blake Corum. like that might be as solid of a top tier of running backs as i've seen really since i've started playing college fantasy right there really i think the committee could have gone either way with any of those guys there i think hampton definitely got hurt by his poor performance during championship week there uh raymond davis had himself a pretty dud week during um during the uh, semifinals, if I remember correctly. But I think Harvey, the reason why people go with him over everybody else is the fact that he, among the options here during the playoff weeks, maybe didn't have the highs of highs like Ollie Gordon or GNT or anything like that, but probably the most consistent guy out of the bunch there. So I understand why the committee went with Harvey. Do you agree with Harvey at three, Lob, or would you have gone with one of the other guys? I actually didn't put Harvey at three. I would have put Hampton one week earlier, but I had to take him out of the top three after the performance in a championship game. You come up with single digits. I'm sorry. I yep. just can't put, you know? So then I thought it was Cody Schrader, man. Oh, I, I had my Schrader. vote was Cody, Cody Schrader. I was the only one who put him in the top three. I thought his second half of the season was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had, a, what, two games with over 200 yards rushing? I do believe he led the SEC in rushing. He did. That is just phenomenal. I mean, maybe I'm an SEC bias, but I had him there. He was very close in points scored per game and total points. I get Harvey. There's no question. I mean, they're really close in the rankings. Schrader on total points was number 13. Harvey was number seven. So I understand it. But I had Schrader because I thought when, when it counted most, Schrader was great the second half of the season. So I put him, but I get why Harvey got it. He was very consistent. I mean, I guess he was the Bo Nix of the running back. If you look Pretty at much, it, right? Yeah. Just, that nice 20 points almost every week. All righty. Again, enough of the positive here, John. Let's go talk about some of these <laughs> busts for the running back position. And man, we have some doozies Ooh. this year. I don't like to call players who got injured busts. You'll notice like with the quarterbacks, there are some quarterbacks that finish lower than the three guys we talked about earlier that got drafted higher. But again, when a guy gets injured, misses more than like a quarter of the season, I'm like, ah, don't really like calling that a bust because you can't control injury. The player can't control injury. You as a fantasy owner can't control injury. That's just bad luck. But Raheem Sanders, I'm kind of willing to throw that out a little bit, even though he did miss about a quarter of the season in terms of games. Because even when he was on the field, when they did run him, he just was not what he was last year. RB3 was what he was drafted at. Finishes the RB271. Like I said, injury played a part here, but there's just something going on between Raheem Sanders, 
that we didn't know about, whether it's something with him and the offensive coordinator. Maybe they kept trying to run him out there before he was actually ready and everything. I wouldn't be surprised if Sanders enters the transfer portal and goes somewhere else after this year. Lob, what do you think happened with Sanders here? And like, what do you think we can apply to next year if we can at all? I think the whole Arkansas team, I think that I, I misunderstood how difficult the new offense coordinator and the t- transition would be. I The offense was a mess. I oh, mean, yeah. I did, every time I watched, watched Arkansas, I wanted to bang my head against the wall. I mean, I just like, why is KJ Jefferson not running? Why, you know, I mean, yes, the injuries are one thing, but when Sanders was in the game, I thought he wasn't used very well. I will chalk up Sanders most of the disappointment to injuries. I I do think the changeover in offensive coordinator had something to do with it, and I expect him to be on another team in the transfer portal. His NFL draft stock just plummeted. plummeted. He needs to to get on a team that's going to feed him the football because he needs to rebound because, yeah, it was a disaster. And I was a Raheem Sanders guy, completely fumbled that one. Again, I don't I don't blame you because, again, he, he was coming off of, let's see, 2022 Raheem Sanders. 20, where 300 are... yards or, I mean, 1,300 yards. Yeah, he, he was RB10 last year. Like, there is no reason not to expect him to do that again. It's just, again, Dan Enos apparently just completely messed up that entire situation Woo! over there with, with the Razorbacks. Again, Sanders, get yourself to a new team. Get healthy first, please, for the love of God. Take the time during the offseason to get yourself healthy and back to back to it and everything. But, woof. What if, what if, what if Sanders follows... Um, what if Sanders follows Jefferson to South Carolina, if that is where Jefferson goes? I think that'd be, that could be kind of fun. Seems like seems like the Gamecocks are pretty willing to. It would be fun. I, I'm going to be. I was actually because I we all like to speculate, right? Oh yeah. I would like them to go to Missouri and replace Schrader because oh, I have confidence in that Missouri offense. Well, don't threaten me with a good Schrader's time there, man. Going to go pro, but I could be wrong. But that's that's kind of what like if if the opportunity arises. With Brady Cook, I think Raheem Sanders could do well at Missouri. Trader is going pro, by the way. He's out of eligibility after this year. Okay, um, good. So I do think it's a nice spot for Sanders. The other one here, John, and again, following old offensive coordinators here, Sanders to TCU? If, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Monty Bailey leaves after this year, potentially? Yeah. Maybe. I mean... Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Not as excited about that one. <laughs> no, not as excited. <laughs> maybe just me. Not as excited. No, fair enough. All right, what about Rodney Hammond here? Running back out of pit. I was, I was big on this dude. I, I had every confidence that all the indications last year were that Hammond, one, started the year as the clear bell cow back over Izzy Abanaconda. And then he gets injured. Comes back during the bowl game. Once Izzy's out again, Hammond's being given the workhorse load again. I was like, okay. Same offensive coordinator as last year. They had a workhorse back then. Yes, Signetti had been had committees before that point. But I'm like, okay, clearly there's something changed here. They're willing to feed Abandicanda. They're willing to feed Hammond in the bowl game. So they're going to go Hammond again this year. He seems like their best offensive player. Ugh. Ugh, this year. Just complete mess of a rotation there for the Panthers 
just inexplicably, inexplicably goes from bell cow to full committee this year. And it really didn't help that just the offense in general was just horrendous. Like the pan, the Pit- Pittsburgh Panthers offense was just not very fun to watch the entire year. Touchdown opportunities were extremely low for anybody on that offense for the most part. Lob, should we have seen this coming? Like, what were they, were there any indications that Signetti was going to go back to his committee approach that we missed? I did not expect it because we do bank on systems and coaching staffs, right? And we've had lots of success with that coaching staff and that system at the running back position. We had seen it the year before with Israel Abinda Canada. And Hampton had started the season as the running back, and then he got injured, and Abanacanda replaced him. So we thought from a skill perspective, Hammond was better, right? Like, And you, you would think that the better back going into the system would have been successful, but it just turned out to be a total disaster. Yep. I mean, it was pretty bad watching him in that pit offense. And I was actually thinking this is going to – I don't even know if this is right, but I was like – Maybe Keaton Slovis made a difference. Like, I can't believe I'm even saying that. But, like, the offense be- appeared to play better with Slovis at quarterback oh than goodness. it did this year, that's for sure. So, it's a it's a question of system and talent. And we bet on the right system. And sometimes the talent doesn't come through as much as we had hoped. So, I really think it was just as simple as that, my friend that we expected him to be better talent and it just he just didn't come through in that system. Speaking of systems that have been very good to us and <laughs> we have just got com- completely burned by it this year, Donovan Edwards, the running back out of Michigan. Really, I think this comes down to two things. One, despite Quorum hitting 1,000 yards again this year, this running game for Michigan was not nearly as strong as it had been the last couple of years. It, Corum didn't really have an explosive run until the Ohio State game, which blew, or not, no, excuse me, not the Ohio State, the Penn State game. That was the first time that we saw Corum kind of make some explosive plays in those games. Otherwise, he was kind of plotting along for three, four, or five yards every single carry, which again, not, not bad, but again, when you don't have any explosive plays to go along with that, it definitely kind of hurts the look of what your rushing attack has looked like and Donovan Edwards this year has just completely lost or just never really got to show his explosive ability. I mean, I mean, people were talking about him as an incredible best ball option because of what he was able to do to Ohio State the year before, where he could, he's one of those guys where he could rip it for 70, 80 yards any given play. Just never got that this year. 109 carries for only 382 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. Only three touchdowns certainly did not help throughout the entire year. It really did not help that Corum was just stealing every touchdown. But when part of the problem was that Edwards only can score really when he makes an explosive play for the most part. They're not going to give Edwards the ball on the goal line. So if he can't run it in from 20 yards out, he's not scoring a touchdown. I have no clue what's going to happen to Edwards moving forward. I wouldn't be shocked, honestly if he enters the portal after this year, because they've made it very clear that he is not going to be the guy they rely on moving forward, like as a, in terms of a bell cow guy. So really, again, just very disappointing. And he was drafted as the RB 25 finished RB 156. Lob, you're the Michigan guy. What are your takeaways from this? 
you know, I think, A, you summed it up from an analysis standpoint. I'm just going to sum it up from a fan and an eyeball test. He was terrible. I mean, every time I saw him get the ball, he he just was bad. I mean, when you have that offensive line, and, and they weren't as good as they've been. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the untold stories. I don't think the Michigan line is as good as it was the past two years. And I believe they won the award. There's an award for best offensive line in the country. Michigan will not be, win that award this year. Or there's just something going on that's incorrect. Because the, the, the line wasn't as dominant. Maybe Edwards was what something we thought it was his talent. Obviously, the line was blocked up for him and gave him more opportunity. Mm-hmm. His draft stock has plummeted. I don't think he's going to go to the NFL right now. And there were whispers about him being, no. I mean, I, I, so he needs to probably get into the portal. I don't think he fits what Harbaugh perceives to be what he wants in this system. No matter what you think, and we'll have a discussion in the offseason about Corum as an NFL draft prospect, but he was ideal for Harbaugh's system between the tackles, mm-hmm. and Edwards just isn't good. He's just not a between-the-tackles runner. So I think he does need to leave and try to get somewheres where they can get him on the outside. Yeah, I absolutely agree. All right, let's go to the, our favorite tall boys, our wideouts over here. Let's go to the Desmond Howard Award here. John, this is the section that I got to write up for your article on Fantrax HQ. By the way, if you have not already from this, go check out the article. Uh, again, expert analysis from a ton of us over there. They, everybody did a great job with it. Malik Neighbors, once again, we have a unanimous winner here. John, you, you tell me, have we ever had before in the CFF Awards unanimous winners at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver all in the same year? Never in the same year. No, and I think the only other what was Devonta Smith. I believe he was the other only other unanimous winner, and is that's the year he won the Heisman, right? Is yes. that like twenty twenty? Is that when he won? I think it's twenty twenty. Yes, sir. In my memory, serves me he's the only other unanimous winner. We've usually had some disagreement at the top. There's you know, but this year neighbors. I mean. I was looking at it. He led in PPR scoring formats. Yep. It looks like he led in points per game. I I have to click the button, but he had over 27 points per game. He came through at the playoff time, right, with over 30 points in each game. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, 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 I You know, anyone knows me. I don't – we all like to talk when we're right, and I've got yeah. as many wrong as I've gotten right over the years. But you and I, or you did, you held an early draft last March. And I remember this. I had taken Neighbors in round six or seven. Mm -hmm. And on the video show, you, I said, Neighbors is going to be a third-round pick by the time this summer. And I love Neighbors. Yep. And, man, I had him in so many best ball leagues early on because he was such a steal. Now – even I did not think he was going to be by far. If you had told me he was going to get 1,500 yards, I would have said no way. I was thinking like 1,300, you know, yeah, what do you have, 14 touchdowns. I would have said 10. So he even exceeded any expectations that I had. But, man, what a season Malik Neighbors had. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, the thing that really stuck out to me with Malik Neighbors, and I think part of the other reason, in addition to him being the wide receiver one, is just how – 
consistent he really Ooh. was this year. Like there simply was not a wide receiver with a higher floor than neighbors. After week two in PPR formats, the lowest fantasy score that neighbors put up was 18.2. And that was in week five. Otherwise <laughs> he was absolutely incredible. Seven top 12 weekly finishes during the season, 85 plus yards in 12 out of 13 games, multiple touchdowns in five games he was absolutely incredible if you could build a wide receiver for fantasy in a lab neighbors was what you wanted out of it so neighbors we can sing his praises all day congratulations to him for winning the desmond howard award this year the next tier of wide receivers here this stuck out to me when you first sent me the point totals here john Malik Washington, the wide receiver out of Virginia, nine points. Roma Dunze, eight points. That tells me there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of disagreement among the committee over who's at second and third place because of how close Washington and Dunze is. And if I think of the leftover points, that probably means a guy like Troy Franklin, Marvin Harrison Jr., LaJonte Wester, Tet McMillan, all those kind of guys right there, probably in the mix somewhat. I imagine this second and third place, kind of like the quarterbacks, very close here. Well, let's talk about the two guys that did get the runner-up here. Malik Washington. If you are out there saying that you knew that Malik Washington would be doing what he did this year, you're a liar. It is as simple as that. Nobody was betting on anybody in this Virginia offense during the preseason. You know how I know that? Because Fantrax actually keeps track of the percentage of player was drafted before the season. And Mr. Washington had 0%. John, you were talking about guys that are like the most important waiver wire pickups on the year. Washington probably would be one of the number one guys there. Very much like Malik Neighbors, since week one in half PPR formats, never scored below 16.4 fantasy points. He was absolutely incredible throughout the season. He saw 138 targets, which was second in the country. He... Got 100-plus yards in every single game except for Week 1 and Week 5. In PPR formats, again, over 21 fantasy points in 12 of his 13 games. Just absolutely incredible. Completely consistent. Very much, as again, the Bo Nicks of the wide receivers. He literally got you what you <laughs> needed every single week. He didn't have the highs of highs like Neighbors did some weeks or even like Roma Dunze there in third place. But you put him in your lineup every single week, and you knew, boom, 20, 25 fantasy points are locked in for me right here. And that is really about as great as you can ask for there. And then Roma Dunze, man, again, it's so close between... I think I had Roma Dunze as my second-place vote among the wide receivers here. He was phenomenal. Finished his wide receiver two on the year with 262.8 fantasy points, only 15 points... Or excuse me, 21 points behind neighbors there. He had the most 20-plus point fantasy weeks in half PPR formats that is tied for first among wide receivers again the only other person that got 20 plus fantasy points in half PPR formats in eight weeks Malik Washington the guy that he is right there pretty much tied with there so Lob Washington and Dunze your thoughts man and would you put any of the guys like Frank or excuse me yeah Franklin Harrison Wester McMillan any of those guys above those two so first the receivers, there were more receivers named on the six ballots than any other position. Wow. There were seven receivers who received votes. Now, obviously, Malik got all the first, but between second and third place, 
there were five other receivers, or yeah, Malik was first. Six other receivers received votes wow. for second or third. So I did have Malik. I didn't think it would come out this way because I actually, ironically, had Malik Washington second and Odunze third. But that's just how I went at it. I like the consistency. Now, I'll, I'll admit this. I got a little lucky because Virginia was on TV a lot. If you remember, they were on TV early in the season, Thursday or Friday nights. Yep. And I'm watching Virginia, and he was on no best ball leagues. No. Like, I looked at all my best ball. I think I ended up doing seven, six or seven. No one had him. Nobody. So, and I'm looking around, and he had that big game against Maryland, and he had a nice game against JMU. And I picked him up on a couple season-long leagues early. I wrote him up. He was just the he was one of the top three waiver wire pickups pickups of the year. So he got it for consistency. And did Odunze? Why did I put him third? No, he was good in the playoffs. I, I guess I just thought Malik. I, I liked him being the waiver wire. I put him third. You could have had a don't you got it? What was it? Don't say you had to get him in the second or third round ADP. Uh, first or second, his, really. First or second. So I think I gave it to Malik Washington because I I like the idea that if you could have easily had him as your third receiver after the third week of the season and the consistency, but both of them were great. It was hard. Oh, I mean, sure. I left Troy Franklin off the ballot, West Wester off the ballot, McMillan off the ballot. And they were, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, those were very, it's amazing when you think about it, right? Marvin Harrison Jr., the top, what is his ADP here is 3.2 overall. Yep. And he only got two third place votes. I mean, but when you really looked at it, the other guys are so good. Yeah, again, we had a very, very solid top tier of wide receivers this year. And the good news is actually that I think we could see a good chunk, or not a good chunk, but a, a decent amount of those guys return for next year. So, like, looking at it here, again, neighbors of Dunze, Franklin, Washington, Harrison, they're all gone. But Wester, that's a possibility of him coming back there. Ted McMillan, he has another year that he, he needs to get before he goes to the NFL. Um, Torrey Horton, it's always kind of weird to see what those G5 guys do there. Jalen Royals has already announced that he will be coming back to the Utah State next year. <clears throat> Luther Burden has Burden. another yeah, Luther Burden has another year that he he needs to go before the NFL. Elijah Sherratt is a guy that a lot of us are looking at potentially returning next year. Kevin Concepcion, who we're gonna talk about here in just a bit, like he's coming back next year. Definitely a lot to look forward to in the wide receiver class next year. But what about the guys that we did look forward to, John, and bottomed out for us? A couple of the biggest wide receiver busts oh. of twenty twenty three. Got some doozy names here. Emeka Egbuka out of Ohio State drafts wide receiver three, finishes wide receiver 198. You got Squirrel White drafted oh as wide receiver 12, finishes wide receiver 119. And Jordan Curley, the wide receiver at SMU, wide receiver 21, finished as wide receiver 397. Oh my God. Ugh. Some real, real doozies here. Uh, probably the one that hurt me the most was Emeka Egbuka. I did draft him quite a bit, especially if I was in the, the latter half of the first round. Picked him up along with usually another solid wide receiver running back there. What happened there, John? What happened with this Ohio State well, offense I, this year? What, what, do we, what do we take away for next year? 
Yeah, I got burned by Ibuka in a lot of spots also. I really liked him heading into the season. Part of it is injury. And, I, you know, this is going to – I've been thinking a lot about Ryan Day in Ohio State. They're very conservative with injuries. When they have a guy who's out, they keep him out an extra one or two weeks. Yep. He's not – I mean, he did it with Trevion Henderson this year. I do think, you know, there. there's always, you know what frustrates me? There's rumors they're going to play, right? Yeah. And then Saturday morning at like 11 o'clock, they're like, oh, yeah, Abuka's not on the field or he's not warming up. Or the worst news is at 10 o'clock, oh, Abuka came out of the hall, out of the tunnel, and it looks like he's warming up, and then all of a sudden he doesn't play. Yep. They did it with the tight end, Cade Stover. Yes, sir. They did it with Trevion Henderson. They did it the year with JSN, right? They did a ton with Jackson Smith and Jigba. This is becoming a pattern now yep. at Ohio State. And I'm going to have to figure out how to factor that into my rankings. Harrison played the whole season. But, man, once these Buckeyes get injured, Ryan Day doesn't put him back on the field. It's very frustrating. And I think that's what happened to Abuka this year. I think there's that as well. And again, I said earlier with uh, the running backs that I don't like to call guys bust when they are injured. And there certainly were some nagging injuries going on with Egbuka. But they're just, yes. even when he did play, he just wasn't what he no, was he last good. year. He wasn't, like they weren't targeting him like they were. It's pretty clear at some point that they're trying to get Marvin Harrison Jr. the Blitnikoff Award. They knew they didn't have as great of a passing attack. So they're like, hey, might as well just keep throwing it over to Marvin Harrison Jr. there. He finishes the top five wide receiver. And Mecca Ibuka certainly dropping down super, super far. And the other part of it was the touchdown opportunity. Just wasn't as strong this year. The Ohio State offense, not as not as great. Um, McCord's passing touchdown numbers were 24 this year versus C.J. Stroud, who had 41 last year. Now, granted, he threw like four of those in the playoff and everything, but he was still like... Like that, that's still going from like 37 to 24. That's a significant drop in the touchdown opportunities for Ibuka and even Marvin Harrison Jr. there. So it sucks, but I think it's also something to take away there is that when we have these systems where we consistently think, oh, they're going to have two wide receivers that are fantasy relevant, you cannot make that assumption, especially when there's a change at quarterback coming. And... Because again, you had Washington this year where we drafted both or drafted both Adunze and McMillan. And while McMillan went down, they still had two fantasy relevant wide receivers because you still had Michael Penix out there. With McCord, yeah. it was a downgrade from CJ Stroud there. I think that is something we have to keep an eye on moving forward. And if you're going to draft somebody in that situation, go for the guy who's the number one. Go for Marvin Harrison Jr. every single time over Egmeka Egbuka. Speaking of offense, Can I say one oh, thing? I oh, of course. on something very important that I think I've had a little bit of success. We overrate turnover at quarterback when it's based on system, mm -hmm. and we underrate upperclassmen who have been in a system for two years. Yep. And I think that's something that I've been pretty lucky with at times. But I think we we want the system quarterback who's never really been on the field compared to someone who might have played like 24 games yep. at quarterback for a team 
and they might have a good offensive line in front of them. So that's something that I've been kind of a little bit successful with. I didn't have any Kyle McCord, and he was good at times. Yeah. But I had no McCord because I, I just think there was a wild range of outcomes with him. No, for sure. I think that I think that's an excellent way to sum up kind of what I was trying to touch on there, where, again, experience matters. And like you said, especially when it is a non- typical cff strong system like think about kenny pickett a couple years ago like he did nothing for years nothing and then just his final year senior year things really clicked now granted they hired a really good offensive coordinator who had a really good system there but at the same time like that experience meant a ton speaking of a very similar situation let's go over to the tennessee vols and talk about squirrel white over oh. here drafted as wide receiver 12 finishes wide receiver 119 here I think a couple of things here. One, Tennessee really spread the ball around a lot more this year. Like Hyatt was like the go-to guy for a good chunk of Tennessee's season. He was the absolute burner. And we saw Squirrel White. And we're like, all right, this is our speed demon. We saw him connect on deep balls from Joe Milton whenever they, those two were still on the field last year. And you're sitting there self thinking like, okay, this is pretty much a match made in heaven. You got a rocket arm quarterback who can just chuck it deep to his speedy wide receiver and throw some bombs. You don't even need more than five, six targets in a game because when he does catch the ball, it's probably for 50 yards. But that's not what happened this year. Part of it, once again, same with Ibuka, some nagging injuries there. So definitely hurt there. But again, even when White was playing, it just wasn't happening for that offense. And the other thing was the, the roles that the wide receivers were given this year were just kind of weird. Like, Ramel Keaton was the guy that consistently kept getting deep shots from Joe Milton. They never really connected. So he couldn't even say Keaton overtook Squirrel White. There was just no wide receiver that really stepped up over here with Tennessee. And the people who really were projecting a ton with Squirrel White, myself included, got a little burnt. But Lob, your takeaways on Squirrel White in Tennessee. I think I wrote about it in the summer. I think people overestimated Hendon Hooker. He had been benched. He lost his job at Michigan. And then remember, I mean, sorry, Joe Milton. They <laughs> overrated Joe Milton. And I wrote about it. They overrated Milton. And I thought, watching Tennessee, I thought they were trying to hide the quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, you know, it's. I'm not saying that it was definitely like consciously. But when I watched Tennessee, they did not let him rip it like they did with Joe, with um, Hendon Hooker over the two previous years. Yep. I think Milton, they knew his limitations and they ran the ball. They had a three headed monster in the backfield, which was a nightmare for us fantasy players. Oh, yeah. Can you please give the ball to two people instead of three? Like, that's a whole other story. And. At the end of the day, Squirrel White is undersized. Isn't he like 165? Yes. If you Tiny look dude. at the other Tennessee receivers, them very like Cedric Tillman and, and Velas Jones and the other players, they tended to be bigger mm -hmm. with kind of like size mismatch advantages. So I think what happened was the entire coaching staff just saw what they had and they realized they had to change. Now, ironically, I've already thought about this a lot, Jared. I'm kind of in on Tennessee next year because I, I hope they fall 
because people are going to be disappointed in this year's production, I think they're going to bounce back. I like that Hooker, I mean, I keep saying, Milton is gone. I'm going to be in on Tennessee because I think they're going to be in a bounce-back spot. No, yeah, for sure. And with Nico getting a year under his belt, they never yes. really tried to force him out there or anything like that, letting him actually develop back there. Definitely, definitely something to look forward to next year. And again, we've already been starting to talk about in our C2C Black channel about second-year transfers and Ooh. guys that we're kind of interested in that missed this year. But again, they get a year under their belt here and everything. Dante Thornton is a guy I'm going to see, I'm going to be keeping an eye on next year, obviously yeah. along with score white, but Dante Thornton, as you mentioned, he's got that bigger size, but he's also got that speed got when he, size. and he's also got that speed when he's healthy. So I do think that again, he's going to become at a massive discount next year. I'm probably going to take a couple shots on him. Speaking of other offenses where they're spreading the ball around and they got some oh, guys there. I'm looking forward to next year. Man, oh man, SMU just pissing every one of the CFF managers <laughs> off out there after giving us incredible wide receiver ones over the last couple of years with Rhett Lashley and that whole system over there. John, I want you to take a guess. What do you think was the highest rank of an SMU wide receiver this year? What do you think they finished, Shaz? Okay, so we're going to take RJ Maryland out of it. Taking RJ Maryland that out of it. Okay, I'm going to guess there isn't a wide receiver in the top 100. You are correct on so that. So 150. 150. Go, go deeper. Oh, my God, 130? Or, no, uh, no. So, yeah. Oh, oh. Other way. 106. 106. Nope. 179. Oh, oh. 179 it was jordan hudson who finished with it looks like 95.8 fantasy points this year which i'm curious does rj maryland beat that so rj maryland finished with 102 so he would be number one among smu wide receivers and that would have allowed him to finish as the wide receiver 158 so even if you put maryland in the as a wide receiver, he would have been wide receiver 158. They, oh, they spread my. the ball around a ton this year, and it just completely killed us this year. And Jordan Curley, dude dropped off the face of the planet. He's about to go sell car insurance somewhere. Like, I don't, like, he was so good last year as a wide receiver two for SMU. I thought he would make a huge jump this year. Straight up did not happen. All these wide receivers that SMU's been bringing in over the transfer portal over the last couple of years has finally come back to bite us because, you know, they just... Got what they wanted. They spread things around. But but here's my point on this. I mentioned earlier, I'm in on guys with second-year transfers. The highest finishing wide receiver for SMU this year in fantasy total was Jordan Hudson. Had some really, really nice games down the stretch there. Obviously didn't perform like I really wanted him to with them spreading the ball around so much. But next year, get Preston Stone to come back another year there and everything. I think that he can make a massive jump next year. I'm keeping an eye on him. What do you think, John? What do you think our takeaways from SMU are? Do you think that we bounce back to the Rhett Lashley, beautiful wide receiver one in the future, or do you think this is a new normal for Lashley's system and, and them spreading it around so much? I'm not thinking it's a new normal because I think what we, we should have read the tea leaves, and I think Nate had said this over the offseason, Nate Marquise, and I could be wrong, but I think it was Nate. 
isn't it weird they're bringing in seven or eight receivers? Maybe they all aren't good. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I think that's what ended up happening. When you keep dipping into the portal, it's we should have been our, our arrows, our antennas should have been up. Yep. Maybe no one's that good because if you have the alpha. You're not bringing in five or six guys. No, you right? bring in a, you bring in one or two to help them, like give them some help. Yes. So let's see what they do with this position. I agree with you. Second year transfer, maybe we get a bump up, but I don't think Lashley wants to have it. I just think this was inevitable because the talent wasn't there. Fair enough. All right. Let's go finish up these last few awards here. Let's go talk about the Dennis Dennis Pitta Award here, the top tight end for fantasy. This is not unanimous. This is probably the positional award that got the most uh, diversity in terms of how it was voted for. But, and some of you might be saying, wow, Lifetime Achievement Award much here. But the award still goes to none other than Mr. Brock Bowers, the tight end out of Georgia, with 16 points from the committee, followed closely in second place by Dallin Holker with 13 points there. And then Harold Fannin tied Dallin Holker at 13 points there as well. So this is is probably the most interesting group to really debate this year because Bowers really kind of set himself up to be far and away from everybody before he got hurt. Even after his injury, it took Dallin Holker, who was the number two tight end at that point, it took him two weeks to catch up to Bowers. And for the rest of the tight ends in the country, if ba- even if, if Bowers didn't play the last two weeks that he did against Old Miss in Tennessee, there still would not have been another tight end to catch up to Bowers in his total pointage until week 12 after he was injured in week seven. That's how far and away he was compared to literally everybody else here. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the committee members still voted to put him here first place, even though he missed quite a few games here. It also helps that he had the most 20-point-plus games of any tight end in half-point PPR formats. He had three. The next closest was two. And I think what also hurt Dallin Holker here is that Holker had himself a really good middle of the season, a pretty lackluster end here to the season. Again, week 9, 6.8 fantasy points and half PPR. Week 10, 4.8. Week 11, 14.8. That's good. But week 12, 3.9. Week 13, 5.3. I think that absolutely hurt him in the eyes of the rest of the committee here for us because it really hurt quite a few fantasy owners of him down the stretch because you did not want to bench Dallin Holker. During that stretch, because you're sitting there thinking, you know, and you got it in week 11, you know, he can put up himself a nice game of like multiple touchdowns and stuff like that. But it kept you from going out and getting guys like Harold Fannin here at number three, who had incredible performances down the stretch and other guys like Jared Wiley come to mind. But like Harold Fannin, look at his performances during the last four weeks, 17.4 fantasy points, 19.7, 23.8, 13.9. He finishes the tight end six, but Phantom might have been the most important tight end to have in the country when it came to any kind of playoff run down the stretch. So I think that's part. I think that's why things kind of shook out here to have Bowers at one, Holker at two, Phantom at three. Lob, how do you see it, man? Do you agree with what the committee did here, giving Bowers this award this year, or would you have gone somewhere different? 
I got no problem with Bowers being number one. Now, I did put Holker over Bowers, but that's just me. Three people had Bowers at number one. And the other people have, oops, sorry, we have a Husky night. No problem, John, no problem. Let, let, your, let your dogs take care of themselves. They'll be okay. I'm sorry, my wife just came home. The dogs get excited. She was out with my mom doing some stuff, so I apologize. But they seem to be okay for now. Um, let me start with this. I have no problem with what the committee did with Brock Bowers. Um, I personally had Bowers two, Holker um, one, but three people did not have Bowers at the top of their list. They ended up having either one person had Brennan at the top, two people had Brennan at the top of his list, and then um, Bowers. So it was spread all over the place. The votes, my friend. I, I think Bowers is the best tight end, but this team was just a little bit of fantasy. So I just put Holker over Bowers because I do think there's a little bit of a difference when you're looking at players. For sure. I have no problem. It's the closest vote oh, by yeah. far is one of the closest votes in our nine years. My nine, I think you've been with me four years, if I remember right, Jared. But like in the nine years I've been doing this, this is one of the closest votes I had at any position in those nine years. Yeah, I definitely think the people who put Bowers at the top were very much imagining like, okay, if Bowers wasn't hurt or wasn't out for three games there, he would have been tight end one, and this probably would not have been a debate at the end of the day. But again, it, fair or not, that's probably what happened. All right, we're not going to go through busts at tight end because, quite frankly, there was enough to we 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 could we could do a whole show on busts at tight end. What, what a ter what a terrible year for tight ends it was. Anyway, let's go talk about the Adrian Peterson Award given to the top freshman in the country for fantasy. This was um, a little bit of debate after the votes came in uh, among the committee because some of us were not aware that we could vote for redshirt freshmen for this <laughs> award. Um, but it's fine. Definitely some deserving members on here. And pretty much almost unanimously, Kevin Concepcion, the wide receiver at NC State with 25 points there. Probably, in my opinion, like if you're counting among true freshmen, there's nobody close here. Kevin Concepcion, as a true freshman, wide receiver 16 on the year, fantastic finish to the season. He had five plus or five 25 plus point games throughout the season, including two 30 plus point fantasy games in the playoff weeks. If you had him sitting on your roster, it was an absolute incredible stretch for you to have him there. We also got Byron Brown, the quarterback out of USF, who I think if more people knew that, you know, you're looking at redshirt freshman and true freshman for this award, I feel like Brown probably would have gone a little higher here than the 13 points that he got because he finishes the QB4 on the year. That Like in a, in a year where there's some really, really good quarterbacks, that's a very impressive feat right there. And then here tied for third place, we have Makai Hughes, the running back out of Tulane, and then Jalen Raynor, the quarterback out of Arkansas State. So, Lob, how did you go about this award? Um, and I guess give me your top three, and do you agree with what the committee gave here? Um, First, it's my fault because I did not distinguish beforehand. That we're looking, I mean, I just assume freshman meant true, but that's next year I'm going to be more clear on that. That's, and that's what my assumption was as well, afterwards. by the way, just to be clear. Yeah, so it, it's, it's my mis communication on that but i know once people are putting brown i don't think it was fair to 
say that your decision was incorrect. So that's totally on me. Um, I had Sepsion and Hughes as the top two. And I put in Eugene Will. I think Eugene Wilson, the wide receiver for Florida State. That's a great call. I had him. I had him at number three. Our good friend Nick had Wilson at number three also. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't Eric Singleton received Bumbley, the running back at um, Western Michigan, right? Yes, sir. Western. So those see votes. Um, I love Rainer too. Now, now the only thing Rainer, I, I thought I took Wilson above him. Rainer petered out again. He I did. Thought, you know, like, he just maybe, you know, it's hard for freshman quarterbacks an entire 12 game season. So I didn't have Rainer there at the very end. I have no problem with the votes. It was, it was up to the person in charge to make it clear. So I was, I'm willing to accept that. Brown was a redshirt freshman. People voted for him. No, and that totally makes sense. I think Hughes might have been a redshirt freshman as well, if I recall correctly. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm incorrect on that. Other names here. Uh, I do want to make one point about Raynor. That man, I still can't believe that Raynor and Arkansas State scored like 62 points against Texas State, and not a single touchdown came from Raynor. That absolutely <laughs> blew my mind because I played him that week and I was tearing my head out because I'm like, that's gonna be an epic matchup for Raynor. Not like. <laughs> What about Darius Taylor here, Lop? This is a dude that if he stayed healthy, I think probably would have won oh. this award. And it, like, I agree. How, like, how did the votes come in for him? Uh, did, uh, did, I don't have did he, he must if he, he got a vote. It must have just been one third place vote. Gotcha. Oh, he did. He got one third place. Oh, oh that was you. You know, it was, he got, I have him at the, I had opened up my screen to the Excel he got one vote, and he was at the a couple people got one vote. And I yeah, Taylor would have won if he had stayed healthy. I mean, what did he have a four five game stretch just off the charts for Minnesota? But he just missed too much time in my book to put in the top three. And I totally understand that. I I the way I kind of thought about this award was I'm like, okay, top true freshman. How would I rank these guys in dynasty right now? And and and, to, okay. and and keeping into mind like what they did this season, and everything. I'm like, there's no way I can leave Darius Taylor out because of what he represents moving forward. So that's kind of how my thought process was when it came to him. Obviously, again, Concepcion, clear number one guy. Yeah, no, no, nobody's arguing there. All right, final award here, John. The Red Grange Award for the CFF MVP for the year. And really, we got our top three from each of the positions here. Jane Daniels, Ollie Gordon, and Malik Neighbors in that order. And it really seems like it came down to a slight debate between Jaden Daniels and Ollie Gordon. Daniels, not the unanimous um, CFF MVP award winner. He got 26 points. Ollie Gordon with 15 points. Malik Neighbors with 9 points. Seems like a couple people might have put Ollie Gordon as their number one CFF MVP because of just the um, absolute incredible stretch he had there to finish the season. Obviously, Jane Daniels had himself, you know, two-week stretch of 60-point games back-to-back, so that's probably what put him over for everybody else. But I'm not really surprised by really any of this right here. It makes a lot of sense that the top three uh, in terms of the different positions would be the top three for this award. I got really nothing else to say. We talked about Daniels really already. Uh, how would you compare him to Ollie Gordon 
Um, what made you decide to go with one or the other, John? I went with Daniel. It was very hard. It was my, my last, I mean, just kind of go down and make my votes, and it was the final um, category that I voted on. I felt that Daniels was more prolific, more often, and more consistent. We talked about Gordon early in the season, wasn't very good. And then Gordon had something against UCF. And there were some playoff games because there's a lot of leagues where you have playoffs in week 10. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, week 10. So I felt that little subtle difference between Daniels was more consistent and he never gave you a sinker. And I, I put Gordon third because I think he's more valuable than a wide receiver position. I just think you have that stud big running back. I prefer you said if we could predict accurately in August, you want the stud running back or the stud wide receiver. I'm going to take the stud running back. That's why I ended up getting to Gordon over Nate Nope, makes absolute sense there. Again, I, I I was one of the people who voted Gordon over Daniels. Again, I couldn't ignore really just how he carried certain teams to championships. Obviously, Daniels was very much involved with that with a lot of teams as well. But just my personal experience was I saw Gordon everywhere on championship rosters. And so I'm like, you know he what? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, he is quite literally that league winner that you got in the middle rounds and everything. So it was great to see. All righty. We're going to finish up here with one little quick announcement here. Again, in terms of what's going forward with CTN, we this is the last show for the year. We are, will not be doing any more shows this December. I need a break. Holidays are around. It's a good time <laughs> for everybody to get themselves a little breather going into next year. I'll be doing some work, obviously a little prep work, getting ready for next year. Obviously, I got to keep track of all the transfers, coaching changes. We will have shows dedicated to those things starting in January. We'll be back during that point. But we got something else coming there in December. This is something I've been working on for a while. I have an idea kind of back and forth in my head. I knew that I couldn't possibly do a whole nother show for this because again, two shows in every single week has been hard during the season. I definitely probably couldn't do it throughout the entire of the off season, but I think I found myself a nice little in-between option here. I'm going to announce the launching of a new monthly podcast that is a spinoff of Chasing the Natty called Defending the Natty, a college fantasy dynasty podcast. It'll be me and Nate Marquise once a month, we'll be releasing the episode on the 15th of each month. It is not going to be one of those shows where we're completely up to date and everything. It is going to be covering a wide variety of topics every single episode. Very much a bird's eye view from Dynasty perspective. But we're going to try to focus a lot on how, do, how does the news affect Dynasty value. It'll give us an opportunity to talk about trade value. It'll give us an opportunity to talk about different classes. How do you value guys moving forward? It's going to be a ton of fun. I've already started planning out the first episode. Should be, It really should be a great time and everything. And so I know Nate is very excited about this moving forward. So for those of you who play in Keeper or Dynasty Leagues or really even call, or Campus of Canton Leagues and everything, this will be absolutely must-listen for you come the new year. So you'll see the first episode there on January 15th, a new College Fantasy Dynasty podcast, the first of its kind. So very excited to announce that for next year. John, really appreciate you coming on here, man. It is an honor always having you on to the show. It's great to recap the CFF 2023 season with you. 
like you said earlier, you're pretty much done with college content for right now, but what can people find over the next couple of months for you that they can expect? Sure. So, um, first, congratulations. I love that. Yeah, I will be listening to you and Nate. What a great, I, I like Nate very much. Great friend. Great college fans. Football mind. And I know when him have done show together in the past, right? Yes, sir. So it'll, be, it'll be a great team. I'm sure your podcast will be awesome, dude. Congratulations. Um, I'm doing it's now switching to the NFL draft prospects. Yep. Believe it or not, I'm looking at some early rounds. Nothing's finalized, but it's now kind of I'll take a week to enjoy the holidays. But I'm doing my early work on um the NFL draft prospects because I switch probably by mid February. I'll start thinking about college again and yep. early ranking. But you know, it's NFL draft. Believe it or not, people have been hitting me up. What do you think about this player? What do you think about that player? I'm okay. He's in my top 10, I don't know if he's number six or seven yet. Mm-hmm. And what a great season, Jared. Can't wait to look worth you over this offseason. I hope we're growing the industry. I have yes, some plans to keep it until I finalize. I don't say anything until finalized. We're going to be doing some stuff. And I know you got King Classic is going to be out of hand, and I'm going to be there. Family already talking about it. So we'll see you out there at the King's Classic next summer, everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to absolutely another season here, obviously. And again, go check out all of Lob's NFL draft content. He's probably better than 95% of the people out there doing NFL draft content because he does the very simple thing of actually watching these prospects <laughs> for multiple years rather than turning on their film in December before the draft. So absolutely go check out all of his content. Again, he's probably more familiar than with these guys and everybody out there. Um, Again, King's Classic, very excited about that. I'm excited to drag you out in the middle of January for our way too early mock draft once again. John, I'm sure you'll get ready for that. Um, Again, lots of great stuff coming up for CTN. Again, for now, this is the end of the season. We will get back to you guys in January. Until then, for the final time in 2023, I hope you all have a wonderful and blessed weekend. See y'all.